Uh, the reading is from Matthew 25, um, verse 31 to 46. And in the Church Bible, it's 1002. The final judgment. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his, right, on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of, these, one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Good morning. My name's Alan. I'm an elder here. We are fourth in our series of what it means to be a church that cares. What does it mean to be a church that cares about sharing the love of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a church that cares about growing in Christ Jesus together? What does it mean to care about our local community and city? And this morning... We're thinking about what it means to be a church that cares about showing compassion. Let's keep that passage open before us from Matthew 25. I'm very conscious this morning that I need God's help, which means you're going to need God's help as well as you listen to me. So let's pray. Holy Father, we ask for your help as we come to your word. Would you speak? Would you open it up to us, Lord? There are things here that we have no experience of. 
And there are things here that we are poor at. And we ask, Lord, that you would bring it to our hearts and our understanding that we would be children of our Father in this generation. In Jesus' name, amen. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. So this is at the end of a a passage of teaching that begins in Matthew 24. Back at the beginning of Matthew 24, the disciples are pointing out the wonderful temple to, to Jesus. And the disciples are remarking on this magnificent temple. And Jesus replies, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And so then we start to receive some teaching on what is going to happen. Signs of the end of the age. And what Jesus is saying is they're looking at this great temple in its great stones, this magnificent center of Jerusalem, the center of the nation indeed, is that it's all temporary. It's going to go. And as we get to the end of chapter 25, and the Son of Man comes in His glory, as we see the temple is now destroyed and gone, we ourselves can look around at the world around about us, and we can see that it is all temporary. There will come a day when the world will stop. The heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, we're told, being kept until the day of judgment. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, we don't know when, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. That's Peter speaking of what is to take place. Everything you see around you is temporary. Whatever wars are being fought will simply end because when the Son of Man comes in his glory, there will be no doubt as to who owns the world. And the little petty disputes over certain parts of land will seem pointless because he has come. The distinctions we make about rich or poor will be utterly meaningless. We will see where true wealth resides when the Son of Man comes in his glory. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But nobody will be looking at their phones. How many times have we been sat in a room? Even, I was about to say, for children of a certain generation, but not necessarily for adults as well. Everyone's just staring at their phones. But no more, because our focus is all on him. The great machines of entertainment and amusement will all stop. All these things are temporary because as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. The Son of Man is Jesus' way of referring to himself. He's speaking of his own return in glory and nobody will be in any doubt as to who he is. 
There will be one thing occupying every mind and every heart on the face of the planet. The Son of Man has come in his glory. And it is the Jesus that we see in the book of Revelation. Do you remember the description of the Lord Jesus Christ risen from the dead and, and comes to, to speak to John and he describes him, one like a son of man, he says, his eyes were like a flame of fire, his voice was like the roar of many waters, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. It's this Jesus that returns in his glory. He returns in his glory with all the angels. Myriads and myriads of angels, we're told, exist in the book of Revelation. And he's come with all the angels. And he sits on his glorious throne. And all the nations are gathered before him for judgment. It's possibly not, uh, not by choice. Again, we're told in the book of Revelation that when he comes, the sky vanishes like a scroll. It's being rolled up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. Do you see, even mountains and sky are temporary. Stars of the sky fall. And the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand, who can stand indeed when the Son of Man comes in his glory. And we realize before the judgment seat of Christ, we finally realize that there's only one opinion that really matters, that of Jesus Christ. The question is not what do you think of him, the question is what does he think of, of you? And it doesn't matter how well you think you've done. I had my, uh, my annual review at work a couple of weeks ago. I thought I had a pretty good year. Apparently I didn't. <laughs> it doesn't matter what I think. And it doesn't matter what you think of your life at this point. The whole kind of the language that we use nowadays, being true to oneself, you do you, all that kind of thing, all that kind of language just disintegrates before the judgment seat of Christ. Because the Father has given all judgment to the Son. And so Jesus separates the nations into sheep on his right hand and goats on his left. The blessed of God and the cursed of God. It's worth pointing out, I think, that uh, that little picture is the shepherd separating the sheep and the goats. That's the only picture language here. 
leading up to this are a couple of parables where he tells a very normal earthly story for the, uh, for the time that have some kind of spiritual lesson. That's not what we have here. This is a description of that last day. The sheep and the goats is the only picture language. And so we do have to ask the question, it would be wrong of me to go through this, this, uh, this service and not ask you the question, our topic is compassion, but hold on for a moment, are you ready to stand there? Do you know where you'll be standing as that separation is made? Will you be on his right hand as a blessed of God or on his left as a cursed of God? The stakes don't get any higher. Go to the end and we find that the cursed of God go away into eternal punishment but the blessed of God into eternal life. There is not a more important question for you to ask yourself this morning. What side are you going to be on? We're not a large congregation necessarily, but we could well imagine there's going to be people here on either side of that divide. I don't know everybody here. Are you ready? Because Jesus is telling you this so that you can be ready. Now, I need to be careful when I come to this passage. We need to be clear about what Jesus is not saying. And I also want to be clear about what Jesus is saying. Okay? Quite often as we come to this passage, we are very clear on what Jesus is not saying. And I will come to that in a moment, but I'm going to be spending most of my time on what Jesus is saying. What is he not saying? I don't want you to walk away from this building this morning thinking that in order to be ready, I just need to try harder and be nice to people. That's not what Jesus is saying. You need to see the context in, in all of the teaching, and you need the, to see the teaching here in the context of all the scriptures. If that were true, if we just needed to be nice to people and show compassion, if that was it, then there would be no cross. We would not be celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning because the Lord's Supper points to the cross. There would be no reason for Jesus to pay the penalty for sin. John writes, God gave us eternal life and this life is in his Son, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ that marks the difference. Faith in Christ. So you trust when you, when you see the elements of the communion a little bit later. Will you be taking them in faith, trusting on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to wash you from your sin? 
trusting in his righteousness, the bread that reminds us of his body broken and his righteousness to clothe us, trusting in him and all that he has done. Salvation as a gift given to you. This is the testimony of the Bible as a whole. So that is what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying simply be nice. So what is Jesus saying? What distinction is Jesus making between the two, between the sheep and the goats? He said in John's Gospel, 13, is Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples. So Paul can write, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. But he goes on and he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are created in Christ Jesus, we do not create ourselves, and we are created with a purpose. And by filling, fulfilling that purpose, people will know that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Faith apart from works is dead. So what Jesus is pointing to is the practical evidence of a living faith. The test Jesus applies to demonstrate a true living faith. The life of God within you is whether or not the compassion of God flows through you, as Eric Alexander has put it. The test Jesus applies to demonstrate a true living faith, the life of God within you, is whether or not the compassion of God flows through through you. The test is not doctrine, as important as that is. If you're going to be a Christian, you do need to believe certain things, and even things that are not salvation issues. We still study the scriptures to try and get them right. It's important, but the test Jesus applies is not doctrine. It's not the miraculous, which can be counterfeit. It is not forms of worship service, which vary from culture to culture, or any other particular preference you have. This is what he shows to the world. This is how he chooses to put his justice on display. I've had, um, I've had reason over the past few years to, to study some issues over which Christians disagree, okay, for various reasons. And when I do that, when I look at something that is, is uh, 
is debated within the true Christian church. When I look into that, I try and try and understand what the opposing view actually is. And I listen to some people teaching an alternative view, and it helps me to, to test and refine how I understand the scriptures. And inevitably, you end up listening to some guy on YouTube telling you things you disagree with. And you, you try and understand, okay, why do I disagree with that? But thanks to the algorithms of YouTube, I am now continually fed a diet of Christians disagreeing with each other. Drawing lines to mark out what is true Christianity. Don't listen to this guy. This guy versus this guy. Now, these are truths that matter. But, when the Son of Man comes in his glory with all the angels, and he sits on his glorious throne, and the nations are gathered before him, and he makes a distinction, he says, See how my people loved. That's how he chooses to display his justice. And it's not to say these other things that we disagree of are, are unimportant, but rather to point out how Jesus Christ values these simple acts of compassion. You recall the early church. They devoted themselves. We, we looked at this a few years ago at Philip Street Chapel as we came out of, um, out of lockdown and re reminded ourselves what a church is. And we went to Acts 2, 42, and we read that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Do you see that? Four things necessary for any church that characterized the early church. There was teaching, there was truth. The apostles' teaching, see that is fundamental. There is prayer there. We prayed this morning because that is a fundamental aspect of church life. There is the breaking of bread. We're doing that later. That is a fundamental part of church life as we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. And they also devote themselves to the fellowship. To the fellowship. That is the people. Fellowship, that word means shared lives. And you see what, see what that does, really? It puts, after the service, we go back for tea and coffee and spend a bit of time together and get to know each other, which is an important time in this, in this uh, new church family that we have here. And what that Acts 2.42 does is it raises that post-service time of tea and coffee up to the same importance as what I'm attempting to do now to what we'll be doing later as we take bread and wine to the prayers that were made before the service began. All these four things, fundamental to what a church is. I was reading and I was reminded of um, the, the cockroaches that were famously found crawling around in the rubble left by the nuclear bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And there was, there was the, that uh, story that came out then that cockroaches can survive a nuclear war. 
Apparently rats have a better uh, radiation tolerance than we do, and they might survive. They can also live underground, and they can eat dead things. So rats might do all right after a nuclear war. Cockroaches and rats and a few other smaller things might survive a nuclear war. Why do I say that? What's going to survive this? If you, if you go back and remind yourself of the, the verses I read about the dissolving of the heavens, the sky rolling up as a scroll, the mountains being removed, what is going to survive the final judgment, the fire that descends when the Son of Man comes in his glory? What remains after the end of history? Well, according to Jesus Christ, it's a cup of cold water. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by, by no means lose his reward. A cup of cold water given with the right heart in the name of Christ survives the apocalypse, survives the judgment of God. It is the practical outworking of God's compassion. And it's, it's the application is there for us. Is it not food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, welcome for the stranger or the refugee, clothes to the naked, time, our time given to the sick or the imprisoned. In an area like Bedminster, and it's part of Bristol, there's going to be all kinds of needs out there. We'll come on to the wider expression of this beyond the church family. And as we make inroads into Bedminster, we're going to be finding all kinds of opportunities to be showing the practical compassion of God. You remember what the early church did as they sold their goods in order to give so that there was no needy people within the church. This is what lasts. Faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Because it is evidence of the life of God. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, John writes. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. John is putting forward the same test as the Son of Man in his glory on the judgment seat. As a message about compassion in the church, we could have gone anywhere, really, in the New Testament in particular. We've gone to 1 Corinthians 13 and talked about love. We could, as I've already mentioned, the description of the early church and how they had compassion for one another. There were collections for the famine organized by Paul. We read about that in Corinthians. There's all the one another's that we read in the New Testament letters bearing one another's burdens, and so on. Even Jesus and his disciples had a money bag 
to give things to the poor. You go to the Old Testament, you get Jubilee and things like that. God's provision for the poor in the land of Israel. We could have gone anywhere to read about compassion. But this morning we're here on the last day of history at the judgment seat of Christ. And on that occasion, Jesus says, see how my people loved. So we care about compassion because it is the life that we are saved for. In 1 Peter, Peter writes, he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. On the cross, Jesus purchased your redemption. He covered your penalty for sin and he purchased for you a new life of holiness and compassion. This life of compassion that we're to live has been won for us on the cross. It is the life that we are saved for. It is the life that shows the compassion of God. I was, um, <clears throat> I, I was looking at uh, the ancient observatories uh, that are uh, scattered around the world. Even though people refer to Stonehenge as, as something that helps people look at the stars in the sky, originally built. There's, there's one that was built in 1734 in India. And it's, it contains the world's biggest sundial. And you can, you can actually walk up the center of the sundial. It's an enormous kind of uh, staircase leading up to a little platform that gets you just a little bit closer to the stars so you can look at the stars in more detail. And the people throughout history over thousands of years have been looking up to the stars. Even today, we have spent, as a people of planet Earth, $10 billion dollars to send the, the James Webb Space Telescope something like one million miles off into space to look at stars. There's something about stars that just draws our attention up. And we've been staring at the sky for millennia. And it seems to me that Jesus has put the church in place as lights in the world. That verse in Philippians 2.15 we are children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I think in the NIV it is stars. And that word could, uh, it's kind of luminaries. You could use it to refer to stars. And there's a sense in which we have been put on display to show the compassion of God. God does that with his people, doesn't he? He, he put Job on display before Satan. He puts... Uh, Paul speaks about the apostles being put on display. Both of those, interestingly, in terms of suffering. And, and God has, has put the church on display. We are to show the compassion of God to our surrounding area. It is a, a church who cares about compassion, does so because we are saved for it and because it shows the compassion of God, and because the compassion spreads out beyond the church. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. We want people to taste and see that the Lord is good. 
Paul writes to the Galatians, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith, but to everyone. This is where it starts. This is where we learn how to practice compassion and love and care and fellowship. And then it spills out so that when people are drawn in, they see it active and working. We are the salt of the earth, and that salt needs to be kind of rubbed into the meat. If you remember, salt in that, that time was a preservative, and it would be rubbed into meat and so on. And so we are dispersed in the world to show the compassion of God, to allow that compassion of God to flow through us, first to the church, but then also out to the community. We care about compassion because it's what we are saved for. Because it shows God so that we might be children of our Father, imitating Him. And because it then spreads out and we pray, draw people in so that they might experience the compassion of God shown at the cross for themselves. So that's our challenge. And that's our joy to be children who show the compassion of God to one another and to the world around about. Lights in the world. Let's pray for help as we do that. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Holy Father, these are sobering verses as we are taken to that final day of history. But we marvel at who you are. Such a God of compassion that it is that that takes center stage at the judgment seat of Christ. And we give you thanks that you are a God of love. We have known it ourselves. And as we have received, Lord, we pray that you would bless us with the joy of giving to one another and to the society around about, Lord, with all the challenges, with all the needs that surround us, perhaps a little overwhelming at times, but we thank you that it is you who provide all that we need that we might be Christ in Bedminster. In Jesus' name, amen.